Thanks for downloading this podcast from Burghead Free Church in Murray, Scotland. We exist to know Jesus and make Jesus known. Our vision is to grow to be a vibrant all-age church of 100 disciples. Find out more at burgheadfreechurch.org. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Jesus Christ. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. How are your plans for the summer looking? How are your plans for anything looking? I used to be the sort of person who liked to have a plan weeks, if not months, and very occasionally years in the future. But the last year has showed me the futility of many of my plans and all of which at one point or another have been scrumpled up and thrown in the bin. At the moment, I've given up planning for more than about the next five minutes. But it's not like that with God. And we've seen in Ephesians that he has a plan, not just any plan, but a master plan for the universe. He is driving history in one direction. Do you remember? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10 The end goal of his plan is to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Through what Jesus has done on the cross, he's made a way, do you remember, to bring spiritually dead people like us alive under the rule of Christ. And not just that, but he's found a way through the cross again for the worst of enemies to come together in unity under the leadership of Christ. That is what God is doing in the world and in his church. And it sounds, at least I hope you think it sounds, glorious and wonderful. And yet, let's be honest, in our experience, it doesn't always feel that way. We said last week that that God's church is his 
glorious new society. It's right at the heart of his master plan for the church. It's the place where unity is being brought together, all these things. But I have to say, it doesn't always feel like that, does it? When we gather with God's people. You know, is that your overriding impression as you look around this morning? This is a rhetorical question you don't need to answer. That this is, this is right at the heart of God's plans for the universe. You know, here we are, a small church. Uh, yeah, we've come a long way in the last few years where we were on the brink of closure. God has been good to us, but we're still small. We're still struggling on to be revitalized. That's here, but what about the national scene? Well, in the year 2000 to 2025, church attendance in Scotland is predicted to more than half, to just 5.5%. And COVID may have spread up that process even more, as others perhaps have simply drifted away from the faith and from the church. There was an extensive bit of research conducted in Scotland about five years ago. It concluded that at most 5% of people in Scotland were evangelical Christians. And that is a generous estimate because they used a pretty loose definition of evangelical. It found that 74% of Scots think Christianity is irrelevant to their life. And 9 out of 10 Scots are either neutral or skeptical towards the Bible. Now, it would be easy to hear those figures and conclude that either God doesn't really have a vibrant master plan for his church, or if he does, well, it isn't working very well. And I say that because this part of Ephesians 3 is here to help us deal with those worries. See how it begins. This is important. Verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul... The prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. And then he pauses and he breaks off. It's almost as if another thought has occurred to him. He goes off for a moment on a different train of thought. And you can see that because if you look down to verse 14, where we'll start next week, at that point he picks up his train of thought again that he began back in verse 1. See, verse 14, for this reason I kneel before the Father. So in the first two chapters, Paul has laid out God's master plan for the world. And he's about, from verse 14 onwards, he's about to go on and pray a glorious prayer for the Ephesian Christians. It's one of the most amazing prayers in the New Testament, and we're going to get to that next week. But after he's described the master plan, and before he gets to this prayer, something makes him stop and break off and just go off on another train of thought for a moment, a tangent if you like. And that tangent is today's topic. So what is it? Well, the clue's there in verse 1. Have a look again. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus. So at this point we discover, if we didn't know already, that Paul is writing this whole letter from prison. Probably in Rome where he's been locked up by the authorities. So just get this straight in your own mind for a minute. God is saying he has a glorious master plan for the universe. 
He's revealing it. He's making it known so that we can be part of it by having a relationship with God and relationships with one another. The whole of history is driving towards God's end goal of everyone being united under Christ. And the plan is huge and glorious and magnificent. And Paul has chosen a small number of men who will be the mouthpieces for this glorious message. That's verse 5. He's appointed apostles like Paul, chosen for this job. And given how grand the plan is, you might expect that these apostles, who were the mouthpieces for this great plan, you'd expect them to be impressive, wouldn't you? And yet Paul, one of the chosen mouthpieces for this amazing message, doesn't look impressive at all. Right now, he's banged up in prison. Feels a bit odd, doesn't it? Paul is saying God's in charge and God's got the great plan. But at the moment, it looks a bit like the, uh, the Roman Emperor Nero is in charge. Because he's locked Paul up. Things don't look as if they're going to plan at all. And Paul is concerned that the Ephesian Christians will look at this situation, look at his chains, as he puts it, and will conclude, as we might be tempted to do, that either there isn't a plan... Or frankly, there is, but it's not working very well. When they see God's messenger, Paul, in prison, or when we look at the church today, apparently failing and falling, we may be tempted to think that God either doesn't have a plan or it isn't working very well. And Paul's little tangent here is to tell them and us not to think that way. Because to think that way is a mistake. Skip down to verse 13. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings. So before we round off this first section, before Paul gets to his prayer, he wants you to pause, look around you, and even when you're tempted to despair over the, church of the, state, of the state of the church in Scotland... Or even when our experience of the local church week in and week out just seems unimpressive. He wants to make sure we don't reach the wrong conclusion. We don't get discouraged. There is a plan. God is enacting it. Even if it doesn't always look that way. Or feel that way. And so today he's going to give us three brief reasons not to despair or be discouraged. Here's number one. The plan comes from God. Look at verse 2. Surely you have heard about the administration of, of God's grace that was given to me for you. Now, in your mind's eye, just picture for a moment uh, that the curator of an art gallery or a museum or something like that, their job is not just to look after the priceless treasures in their keeping, it's also to display them so that others can enjoy the beauty of the art. Paul is saying it's a bit like that with him. He's been made the curator, not of priceless art, but of something even more precious, the message of God's grace. Paul's job is not just to keep that safe, but to display it for the world to see. And did you notice this is a God-given job and a God-given message? 
The good news of Jesus is not something Paul dreamed up in his prison cell one day when he had nothing better to do. No, the plan comes from God and Paul's role in making the plan known. Even that comes from God as well. Verse 3. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. The plan is God's, not Paul's. But your next question might be this. Okay, Paul, you're saying that all this stuff, this master plan, the good news about Jesus, this this mystery made known, you're saying that comes from God via you. But Paul, what makes you think you have the authority to speak for God? You know, if this plan comes from God, how come only you know about it? How come you've got the insight into this? Paul, what about all the Jewish scholars who who poured over the the Old Testament for centuries and generations? Why didn't they know about it? Why didn't they see this mystery made known that you're talking about, Paul? Well, Paul anticipates exactly that question. He begins to answer it in verse 4. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. Now, there are many things in life that are a mystery to me. It is a mystery to me how people find their way anywhere without a sat-nav, because I have no sense of direction. It's a mystery to me why anyone enjoys Sudoku. Maths homework should be resigned to the bin when you leave secondary school. It's a mystery to me why women need so many shoes. There are many mysteries. Cryptic crosswords are a mystery to me. Um, Even sometimes when people explain the clues, I still don't get it. It seems to be a level of brain power which I just don't have. It's a mystery. And you've got to be clever enough to solve it. That's often the way we use the word mystery. But it's important to know that that is not the way Paul uses the word mystery here. The mystery about Christ is not something that was always there and you just had to be clever enough to work it out. No, the mystery that Paul speaks about is something actually very simple. It's the message of the gospel. It's not complicated. But he uses that word mystery, not not to mean something complicated you have to work out, but to mean something that was once hidden that's now been revealed or unveiled. Imagine a painting in your gallery, and uh, along comes Prince Charles or whoever it is, and pulls the cord and unveils, reveals the painting. Or how about this for an illustration? Um, In Essex, near Brentwood, not a part of the world I know very well, you'll find this sign. Secret nuclear bunker. I absolutely love that sign. It's great, isn't it? Now, no doubt in the Cold War, it was a top secret location, right? But now it's been made known. Now it's an open secret. They've even put it on a road sign. That's the way Paul uses this word mystery. Something that once was hidden, but now has been revealed. The curtain's been drawn back, or they've put it on the road sign. Now it's known. The mystery made known by God through the likes of Paul is that whoever you are, whether you're Jew or Gentile, wherever you're from, whatever you've done, bitter enemies can be brought together through the gospel 
as they are brought together with God through the gospel. The mystery is, how can that happen? The answer is, through the cross of Christ. It wasn't always clear in every passage of the Old Testament exactly how this would happen, but now it's been revealed and made known through what Paul calls the apostles and prophets. That is, those who wrote the pages of the New Testament, including Paul. And now the word is out, verse 6, that through the gospel, Gentiles, that's most of us, are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. So when you look at your church, be it here on the local level or, or nationally, when your experience of it seems bit unremarkable don't be discouraged what's happening here is extraordinary and supernatural it is the enacting of God's plan and on that point just as an aside our view of God it's important that we don't just build it on our experiences or how we feel about things not that feelings are unimportant But in the scriptures, we're always encouraged to build our view of God on revelation, on what God has said, not just on how we feel. Through what God has revealed by his spirit in his word, not just our own impression of things. When it comes to the church, well, sometimes if we base things on our own experience, we'll have a kind of flaky relationship with the church maybe we'll come to a church because it kind of fits us or we like the experience or we like the music or the preacher imagine that but then when things change or people change or move away or the preacher starts preaching for even longer it becomes clear that we didn't really trust in God or his word we, we just kind of like the experience it's so important to build our knowledge of God on the things he's revealed in his word And not just on how we feel or what we experience. That will sustain you in the Christian life. Anyway, that's an aside. Paul says, don't be discouraged. The plan comes from God. But secondly, don't be discouraged. The messenger was chosen by God. We're often suspicious of career politicians, aren't we? You know, those sort that haven't come into politics because they had a real seriously held conviction... Uh, or they don't bring into politics a, a lifetime of experience in business or whatever. They're just sort of in politics, it seems, to acquire power. And they'll kind of adjust policy however they see fit to get power. It's not like that with Paul. He, he's not a career apostle. Verse 7, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Paul is not the guy you would ever expect to be an apostle. It was on the Damascus Road, do you remember? Where Paul, who was radically opposed to Jesus, actively persecuting the church, where he met with the risen Lord Jesus and was transformed and turned around and set on another course. And Paul is clear about what that means. Look at verse 8. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me. 
to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Now Paul is writing in Greek in the original pages of the New Testament. And he actually makes up a new word here to capture the kind of lowliness of his status. We get it there, the least of all the Lord's people. That's a sort of polite English version Uh, But Paul is kind of grappling for a word to describe his lowly status as one who used to persecute God's church. And he makes up a word. It's essentially the word, I am a lista. A lista, the least of these. So when you see how transparent Paul is about his past, when you think that he was completely opposed to Jesus... How can it be anything other than completely and authentically God who's chosen him, this Lister, and turned him around? How unlikely a story is that? How wonderfully God's doing. So when you look around and you worry things aren't going according to God's plan, don't be discouraged. The plan is from God. Even the messengers who bring us God's plan, they're from God as well. And as another aside, we need to be clear that we are not apostles. We don't have the same kind of foundational role. And yet as Christians today, we do have a role in telling others about God's good news. And we need to be clear and honest when we try to share the gospel with others. That, that we, we, it's not that we know God because we're good It's not that we know God because we're clever and somehow we worked out this mystery. It's not that we're Christians in any sense because we are morally or spiritually superior. Not at all. Do you not remember? We were all dead in our transgressions and sins. We only know God because he has been kind enough to reach out to us and rescue us and make the good news known to us. When we share the gospel with others, the hero of the story is never us. We are just messengers. Like Paul, we are a bunch of leasters. We are the least of these. The message, that's the unsearchable riches of Christ. Let me ask you, how do you respond when you share something of Jesus and people couldn't seem to care less or they don't understand or they don't want to know. Do you get frustrated with them? Do you get disheartened? Do you look down on them? Do you think, oh, this is a waste of time? It'll never make any difference. And when you think that way, you need to remember that you were a lista. You were just the same. You were stubborn and didn't understand and didn't know God, but God worked in you. Look at yourself and think, if God can work in me, my goodness, he could work in anyone. Lastly, maybe most spectacularly of all, don't be discouraged. The church reveals the wisdom of God. Look at verse 10 now. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Now that is an amazing, amazing verse. God wants to display his wisdom 
to the unseen spiritual powers. Remember, the spiritual powers in Ephesians um, are not necessarily uh, good or evil. It's both. It's the unseen spiritual world. Imagine now that God is the curator of a gallery. He wants to put something on display that will show the world his glory and his wisdom. Imagine God runs a cinema. He has a cinema screen. He wants to put up something on the cinema screen which will best display his wisdom and glory. What do you think God would put on it? There's tons of things he could put on it. Maybe he would have a film of the moment of creation or the moment of his final judgment or maybe the moment of the incarnation when when God stepped down to earth. What would God put on his screen to really display his glorious wisdom to anyone who's watching? The amazing thing is Ephesians says it's none of those things. The thing that God puts on the screen to display his wisdom is us. His church. The people who've been rescued from sin and restored to relationship with him. God says that's what displays his glorious wisdom. The people who have been taken from darkness to light, from death to life. The people who have been gloriously restored to relationship with him. That's what God puts on the screen to display his wisdom. The great endeavor of Satan has always been to sow division and disunity between ourselves and God and and between each other. He wants us to be alienated and cut off from God and divided from our enemies. He wants to tempt us and tug us always in that direction. And so God says, when you see my church, a people united with each other and with God, that will really display my wisdom. The wisdom of the cross of Jesus. It will show clearly that Satan has lost. That's what I'm putting on my screen to show the world my glorious wisdom. Maybe you're here today, or maybe you're not here today, because in all honesty, you're kind of thinking about giving up on the church. Or stopping being with us regularly, or just drifting away or kind of not returning after COVID. Maybe the church seems small or insignificant. Maybe church is just getting getting squeezed out of your life and out of your busy diary. Or maybe you have kind of kept coming and being here in body, if not in mind. But really, years ago, you, you kind of drifted off. Please will you read and hear and believe verse 10. It may be unseen, may not always feel like it, but the church is God's glorious new society at the heart of his master plan for the world. Will you commit to loving the church? Will you see how precious it is? Will you commit to relationship with God? Yes, but also with his people. Will we love each other and pray for each other? When we do these mundane things together, they are actually cosmic in their significance. They are of eternal value and they show the devil that he has lost and the cross of Christ has won. The church, imperfect as we are, displays the glory of God. It is a snapshot, if you like, 
of the new creation. So we may hear the stats and feel discouraged that churches are shrinking. It would be easy to look at that and feel discouraged. Just as it would have been easy for the Ephesians to look at Paul, the great leader, in prison and feel discouraged. It would be easy to think that either God doesn't have a master plan or if he does, frankly, it isn't, very work, it isn't working very well. But Paul says, no, don't believe the lie. The plan comes from God, not from Paul. Paul was appointed by God to share it with us. And more than all of that, God says, if you want to see his glory and wisdom displayed, look at the church. If we were to ask what's happening in Berghead today, what is the most significant thing? Jesus would say, I'm carrying on my master plan. I'm building my church. Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that the Lord Jesus has done. We thank you for this passage in Ephesians which assures us that your plan is working, that your plan is real. Lord, we are amazed by this verse that you are displaying your glory through the church. Lord, forgive us, we pray, when we don't reflect your glory well. Help us to be those who love your church, who are so deeply committed to relationship with you and with one another, that that shines the light of the gospel of Jesus to our village and to our region. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks again for listening. Please feel free to share this podcast. And if you'd like to be up to date with each week's talk, why not search Burkhead Free Church on your favorite podcast app and hit the subscribe button. For more information, go to burkheadfreechurch.org.